Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Amen. I have the unique opportunity this morning to uh, do something that's called return. For those of you that don't know, this is a lot of new faces I see, and of course, plenty of people online who may not know me. Uh, Relove Church holds a very special place in my heart. I had the opportunity to first join this church back in Westminster, Good Samaritan Church. Uh, I came in 2012. Some of y'all don't know about no Westminster, Good Samaritan Church. Some of you guys don't know, but I see that. Yeah, I see a few. I see the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see the old heads clapping. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, so... uh, I'm, 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 I'm grateful for the opportunity to be back here to serve on the pastoral team here at Relove. Uh, I had a short season when we changed our name from WGS to Relove back in 2017. And then uh, shortly after, in the top of 2018, I left, went to uh, the seminary, and um, I pursued an education um, back in the frozen tundra, as our beloved Pastor Seth likes to call it. It's, it's appropriate. I'm from Michigan, though. I, I was born there on the east side of the state, north of Detroit and Saginaw. Uh, So it was a tundra I'm well familiar with. Uh, Nevertheless, I'm excited for the word. I'm going to jump right in because I feel like God's placed more on my heart than I really, um, than he's placed on the time clock. (laughs) Do we have a time clock back there? Yeah, go ahead and roll that, man, because I'm going to start, I'm going to be here all day if you guys don't give me the red letters and tell me to to shut up. Uh, Let me just uh, start by introducing you guys to um, something that's been on my heart through just some memories that I was recently thinking of. Um, I have had the opportunity for the past 17 years to be involved in something called Camp Hope. Uh, it's a camp back in Michigan. It's a bereavement camp. So it's a camp for kids aged 6 through 17 who have lost someone close to them. And um, it's a very special place. It's a, it's a three-day, two-night camp where these kids have the opportunity to do something very special, and that is hurt together. That's all we do. We spend three days hurting together. And after that three days of hurting together, we heal. Um, And I've seen magic happen every time. And so it's a regular camp. There's canoes and there's the blob. They all want me to blob them because they know they'll go to the moon and not come back. But but the camp people won't let me blob them. Janet got blobbed. I blobbed Janet one time. A few of us went out there. It's a camp, so we do fun stuff, and then we stop and pause and do healing groups and therapeutic activities that are age-appropriate for the different age groups. And it single-handedly has been a life-changer in my own journey and experience with grief and just with pain. Um, Paula, if you will, hand me that little, the little, uh, yeah, the the little buddy here. So at the end of Camp Hope, we get these bears. Well, we don't. I, I served for 10 years before I got my bear. <laughs> the, the campers get these bears, and these are just bears that are made out of recycled denim. Uh, members of the community make them, and it kind of just is a special way to mark the experience that the kids have. It's something comforting for, for the kids, and it's something that they get to take in, of course, like your yearbook. Um, you know, at the end of the year, they'll take and they'll write 
all over the bear and sign each other's bear. And it's a special token of the experience that you had. And I th was thinking of one of the experiences that I remember witnessing when I was at Camp Hope. This was a few years ago. Uh, we had a little six-year-old girl. Keith, I don't know if you have the images, um, but I have uh, one image of the first image. Yep, of the little six-year-old girl. There she is right in the middle. Uh, she's holding up her memory pillow. And I wanted you to show her face so you can connect to what I'm about to say because it really makes a difference when you just imagine someone versus when you actually get to see someone. And this young girl, I watched her walk up to another young girl who dropped her bear. It's the last day of camp, and we, 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 we hand these out right before the parents come, and we do the celebrations. And this little girl dropped her bear, and it got dirty. And she was really upset. She started crying about it because her brand new bear had just gotten dirty. And this little girl came up to her, and she had a Band-Aid in her pocket. And she said, here, let me put a Band-Aid on it so that he can be fixed. And it was one of the most sweetest, um, I'm just going to put this right here, one of the, one of the sweetest little, little demonstrations of what a young person thinks healing is. Wouldn't it be nice if it was that easy? Wouldn't it be nice if we fell in the dirt and it was as simple to become clean as just throwing a Band-Aid on it? Or if we had a broken bone that we could just put a Band-Aid on it? See, the reality is when it comes to pain and it comes to hurt and it comes to suffering, it's not as easy as just putting a Band-Aid on it. Healing isn't delivered often through just Band-Aids. Healing is delivered through uh, time and medical attention and x-rays for a broken bone, right? Maybe it's certain nutrients or diet. There's going to be certain things that a, a doctor's going to tell you to do, and it takes, it takes a lot of time and special attention when you break a bone. But what about when you have a broken heart? How do you break a broken heart? Because I can tell you right now, there's no x-ray that's going to fix a broken heart. There's no, there's no medicine you can take that will fix a broken heart. Today, we're going to talk about how to heal when it hurts. Emotional and psychological trauma is the result of unusual experiences that we've had that are very severe, that have a negative impact on our emotions, oftentimes so much that it becomes physiological, makes us feel disconnected from our networks, our communities, and distant from God. You may have experienced this through a divorce, a separation. You may have experienced this through the sudden loss of property. You may have experienced this through the death of a loved one. I don't know what you went through, but each person in here has a place of pain that we've been trying to protect. And today we want to talk about how to heal when it hurts. Our scripture for today comes from 2 Kings chapter 20. It's short. Verse 5 says, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears, and I will heal you. Heavenly Father, God, as we open your word, Lord, don't just open our hearts this morning. Open our wounds. Pull the Band-Aids off. Peel back the places we've been trying to protect and heal today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to jump around in scripture a little bit today. I, I, I want to start in, in Luke chapter 18. I just got three points in the poem for you today. It's not going to be anything real, real, you know, real big, but we're going to start in Luke because I want to look at um, one particular example in the Bible that God shows us in Luke chapter 18, um, the importance of identifying our pain. 
Uh, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35, we're going to read through 43. Luke 18, verse 35 says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. 37, they told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 40 says, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, the man said. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. I want to look at number 41. It says, Jesus asked him what seems to be a rhetorical question, what do you want me to do for you? It's very obvious that this man is blind. There was a large commotion surrounding the movement of Jesus, and this man was very loud. He was not discreet about his situation or his circumstances. You could see he was known by the surrounding people. Uh, the book of Mark actually names him Bartimaeus. His name is Bartimaeus, this blind man. And, 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 and why would Jesus ask him to identify something so obvious? Why, why make the blind guy announce that he's blind? And I just think it's peculiar when you consider the fact that Jesus, the Son of Man, omniscient one, the one who knows all, who is all-powerful, would still request for this man to identify his pain, to announce the place where he needed healing. My first point for you today is simple. We need to pinpoint our pain. There's a part of the healing process that requires our acknowledgement, that requires our openness to receiving healing, that requires our um, uh, submission to the presence and power of Christ. Where are you hiding your pain? Some of you haven't healed simply because you refuse to acknowledge that you're hurting. Some of you haven't healed because you prefer acting like you're healed. I'm a cry in private, but I'm a praise in public. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm going to sing on the praise team. I'm going to join the Sabbath school group. I'm going to every single small group. But you go home hurting still, and you maintain a place of need for healing. Some of us have just learned to avoid the pain altogether. Like, I'm just going to avoid. Your pain indicates where you need to be healed, right? I'm just going to avoid this altogether. And we learn how to act healed. And, 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 and we learn how to not touch that, that spot that's hurt. There's a difference between being healed and avoiding pain. And when you think about what pain actually is, it's an indicator of where you need healing. Those places that hurt are the places God's trying to go. And we can see that in this scripture when the man is asking him to identify where he needs healing. Those places of pain are actually meeting points in the grace of God. That's where God's trying to intersect paths with you. 
but you refuse to go into that place. You refuse to go into that dark room. You refuse to talk to that person that you won't forgive. You refuse to go to therapy because you don't think it's going to make sense to bring all this stuff back up. I'm X amount of years old now. I've learned to cope with it. Why would I need to go do that now? We have found ourselves avoiding the places of pain when those are the actual places that God is trying to meet us for the purpose of the change that he wants to do in our lives. Jesus healed people in their places of pain all the time. He met people places, right? He met the woman at the well, right? He met people in city centers. He met people outside of gates. He met people at the temple, Jesus was always meeting someone. When you look throughout the New Testament, you see where people were meeting Jesus in places. That's where you need to go. You want to know where God is in your point of pain, but you won't go into the darkest room of your heart. And that's where God is. Not disqualifying his ability to heal you without your, without your request or without your uh, submission to it. He can do that. But why would he do that as a God of love? Why would he supersede your will and your desires and give you something you've never asked for? You ever been given a breath mint? <laughs> you ever been given a breath mint when you didn't ask for one? God ain't trying to give you no breath mint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to learn how to open our places of pain and let God probe those places. Let him put his, his touch. Let him reach his hand into the Yeah, the enclaves of your heart, the crevices of your soul that you keep hidden. Which is why David said in Psalms, God, search me. Try me. See that there are no evil ways in me. You got to let God probe your pain. Because that very same topic that you avoid in conversation, that very same person that you won't call because you haven't forgiven them yet, those are the places God's trying to go. Those are the places that God wants to heal. And unfortunately, and I want to acknowledge this, and I want to be sensitive because I know that there are pains that you all have experienced that I'm unaware of, and some of them have been detrimental to your development. They've been so hurtful that you've been on the edge of, of places that you don't want to go back to. I understand that. I don't, I'm not here today to make light of your pain and your circumstances and your situation, but rather to give you hope. But I want to begin also by acknowledging that, that some of you have learned to do this method of avoidance because that was your coping mechanism survival and that's what they teach you when you, when you learn about trauma and you've experienced traumatic experiences you learn that there's actually things that you need to do to survive in order for me to wake up tomorrow to face the reality of the day knowing what i experienced yesterday i need to act like it didn't happen i've done that i'm not telling you to sit and wallow in your pain but i'm telling you that you do need to face it and I am wanting to give you all permission to know that if you are one of those people who has experienced this pain and you put up walls and you have, and you have developed these mechanisms for coping, whether they're healthy or not, I want to let you know that's okay. I'm not here to diminish that. Whatever you had to do to survive is what you had to do to survive. And I'm grateful that you're here as a result of those healthy or unhealthy coping mechanisms. But I also want to let you know that you do not need to stand in bondage of the walls that you placed around you to protect you from the things that God himself is surrounding. You do not need to stay behind the wall of the protective barrier that you place around yourself. 
God's waiting for you to point it out. God's waiting for you to say, hey, God, it hurts right here. Hey, God, fix this. This is where it hurts. And there's a power when you pinpoint your pain. Sometimes God will choose not to heal what you won't reveal. Step number one in how to heal when it hurts is to pinpoint your pain. I'm going to jump over to Luke chapter 23. And we're going to come back. We're going we're to revisit some of this. But Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 50. And I'm going to be real quiet till I start hearing some pages turn or some little, little taps on iPhone screens or something. Luke chapter 23, verse 50 says, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, verse 52. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Now, this just for some context, this is after the death of Jesus Christ, right? So we know that Jesus was crucified. And, uh, and, and so this man, Joseph, goes to Pilate, asks for his body, and this is the man that goes to bury him, right? In verse 53, it says, Then he took it to town, took then he took it down, the body, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day. What day is preparation day? That's Friday. Many of us are Seventh-day Adventists. Some of us who are Seventh-day Adventists may recognize that preparation day means that it's Friday. And then verse 54 says that the Sabbath was about to begin, which means it was going, uh, we were approaching sundown on Friday. Verse 55, the woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But, someone say but. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. They rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. The nice thing is that we know how this story ends. We, we, we know about Sunday. We know what happens on Sunday when Jesus comes back to life, right? We, we understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but these people didn't have the luxury and privilege of knowing what was going to happen two days in advance or two days after that point. Um, can you imagine, though? Can you imagine the pain that was felt by the people that witnessed his miracles? Can you imagine, just imagine blind Bartimaeus, the dude that just had, the, the, the guy that had his sight restored by this, man, that, that's a special guy. The Bible doesn't record what type of relationship they had after that, but you have to imagine Jesus impacted thousands and thousands and thousands of people during his physical life and existence here on the earth. He walked closely with 12 people that he ate with and slept with and, and served with and preached with and taught with. Think about the disciples. Imagine your best friend. This is somebody they gave their life up for. They left their families. These disciples stopped doing what they were doing and living their lives to follow this man. Can you imagine the, the friends and the people that knew Jesus? Imagine Mary and Martha and Lazarus. These people that we know who Jesus loved and that loved Jesus. Imagine losing the most precious person in your life. Imagine the pain these people were feeling. It was just Saturday to a lot of people, but to God, that time in between was Sabbath. Now, as they had prepared to lay his body to rest, and we know that the next morning, Mary and, and, and the Marys came, and they tried to find Jesus, and they came to an empty tomb. Now, we know that, but 
well, let's not be so quick to jump to what happened on Sunday because what I'm seeing is that there's pain and grief and loss and suffering that happened on Friday. All of Saturday was miserable. Think of the last person that you lost in your life. The next morning you woke up and you're like, I don't want to wake up. I don't want to face this reality. That's the pain that these people felt. Why would a God who's good, a God who's gracious, place a pause right in between grief and the prophecy? Why would God who's good place a pause right in between the death and the resurrection? Between the pain and the problem, between the, 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 the pain and the promise that we knew that Jesus would rise again. But God placed in the middle of that a day of rest. That means that the next morning when they wanted to wake up and just busy themselves with going on to, they couldn't do that because they had to rest. It was a Sabbath. That means instead of coming the next day and, and putting ointment on the body so that we couldn't smell the decay. Nope, couldn't do that either. You had to go rest. We had to sit in the painful place as God has asked us to pause in our pain. In the journey toward healing, we need to pinpoint our pain, but we also need to pause in our pain. There was something that happens on Saturday in our lives, in, 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 in our Saturdays, in, in our Fridays, there's a, in our places of pain, there is something in us that deepens as we sit in those places of pain. What's, what's your Friday? As the sun set down on the hope of Messiah and darkened the skies of their heart, they had to sit and pause in the pain of the loss of their best friend. But the book of Isaiah 45 says, I will give treasures that I have hidden in dark places. It also says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Where are some of you seeking to face tomorrow without having rested, rehabilitated, and restored from the pause you need to take in the pain? You want to rush right past what hurt so bad. You want to get right on to tomorrow. I want to act like yesterday didn't exist, but God today is calling you to pause in your pain. But guess what? You can't pause if you don't pinpoint. If you refuse to recognize your place of pain and need for healing, how are you going to pause in it? God is calling somebody today to pause in their pain. Sometimes God won't heal what you refuse to feel. And then our desire just to move on so quick and not feel the pain, we're missing our healing. You need to pinpoint in your pain, family. We need to pause in our pain. And I'm going to move right on to my last, my, my, my last point. My last point is repurpose. Repurpose your pain. Now, that's a work that God does, but something that you allow him to do is to repurpose your pain. Would you agree that most people hate pain? Yeah, most people hate pain. But that's kind of crazy because I see people do painful things all the time. People work out. <laughs> I said people, y'all looking at me like. 
people work out. Why? Because no pain, no gain, right? There's, there's, there's something to be earned from it. People suffer through school. People suffer through surgeries because on the other side of it is wellness. Women suffer through labor for life. It's not so much that we hate pain as much as we hate pain without a purpose. And sometimes we have a hard time recognizing the purpose in our pain. Let's look at Peter's situation right after Jesus was arrested, right? So we're backing up a little bit and we're looking at Luke chapter 22. In verse 31, he says, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Okay? Then in 34, Jesus told him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me. Picking it up in verse 60, Peter replied, as a man was asking him, hey, weren't you the one that was with Jesus? It says, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, I wanted to share that particular scripture with you because I would imagine that that was Peter's lowest point. That, that must have been one of Peter's lowest points. Because he did exactly what Jesus told him he was going to do. And he denied this person that he had followed all this time. And Jesus was his best friend. He's about to now go into a season of grief where he's now going to experience the reality of the pain of the loss of Jesus. That must have been one of Peter's lowest points. And just imagine. Imagine how Peter must have felt. He's now facing the, the, the regret of falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane during prayer before. He's experiencing the shame of denying Jesus three times, the very thing that Jesus warned him about. He's experiencing the confusion about whether or not Jesus really was the Messiah. Like, hey, this guy's been taken captive. I thought he was supposed to be the all-powerful. And he's about to experience the grief of losing his best friend. And the scripture says that Jesus looked him in his eye when the, when the bird crowed. Can you imagine being so embarrassed, disappointed, and hurt? Yeah, I feel like Peter a lot more than I feel like Jesus. I feel like Peter, when Peter messes up, I know what that feels like. But I want you to think about the way Peter's story continued. And if we fast forward, or fast forward 50 days to the day of Pentecost, right? In the book of Acts chapter 2, it says that Peter had the opportunity now to preach to a group of people. And the, the day of Pentecost was when Peter preached one language, but all these other languages, languages what we call tongues today, were, 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 were uh, heard. In Acts chapter 2, it says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. This is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you. This is the sermon that he's preaching to thousands, okay? 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is one of the largest recorded mass conversions in all of Bible history. This effectively marked the start of the church. Now, 50 days earlier, Peter was in the lowest point of his life. But you know what? I bet because Peter had experienced what it felt like to be at that lowest point, because Peter had lived and suffered through the pain of the loss of Jesus Christ and the back and forth and the emotional whiplash, because Peter actually pinpointed and paused in his pain, Peter was empowered by the pain that he experienced to preach one of the most powerful sermons in recorded history. From that sermon, the church started. I want you to understand the significance of that day and of that moment. And think about the sermon that that Peter preached. Peter was preaching a sermon on repentance and forgiveness. Peter could preach with power on forgiveness because Peter knew what it felt like to be forgiven. Listen, y'all, sometimes you, you, you can't preach. Your evangelistic efforts are going to be null and void because you refuse to experience the, the, the pause in the place of your pain. Because some of you have not yet experienced the healing you're trying to bring to other people. Peter was in a place where he had suffered through that. Peter is now preaching with power because he knew what it felt like to be forgiven. He knew what it felt like to be miserable. He knew what suffering felt like and there was no hope for tomorrow. Peter was able to preach with power because he had gone through that place of pain. Let me tell you, family, you may have pain. But God can and will repurpose that pain. And that's the good news. That's the promise. That's what's exciting about this. Last week after the sermon, I sat in the back while the guys were tearing stuff down. And uh, (laughs) I don't know, Keith, if you remember, you know, he was like, what are you preaching on next week? And I said, it's going to be about pain. And he said, oh, man, he said, that's going to be heavy. He said, I feel like we need to pick me up. This is the pick me up. Okay. God will repurpose your pain. This is what we have to be excited about. Yeah, we got to pinpoint it. Yeah, we got to pause in it. But the fact of the matter is God can and will pinpoint your pain. The most powerful part of Peter's ministry was produced after he experienced the pain of Jesus. And sometimes God's preparation for you comes packaged in pain. There's, a, there's, a, there's an opportunity for you to experience the miraculous power of God in your places of pain. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5 is what we started with. It says, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears, and I will heal you. The power of pain is contained in God's promise to heal you. There's no such thing as pain that God allowed without purpose. All pain has a purpose. All pain has the power of transformation. Family, I know you're hurting. I know it hurt yesterday and it might hurt more tomorrow. But I promise there's healing for you. Let your hurt just be an indicator of the promise of God's healing for you. 
Because I promise that your repurposed pain is the most powerful weapon you have against the enemy. Last week was my first Sabbath back after moving back here to Southern California. I sat in the back of the last row. My nephew, Jordan, he sat next to me. And it was just praise and worship. Ricky and him were singing. It wasn't Ricky. It was, I don't know. What's her name? Trisha. Let me shut up while I'm up here. Listen. So they were singing. And I was sitting in the back. And I was crying, right? But that's why I sat in the back. Because Nicholas had invited me. He said, hey, you can come sit here in this room. And I went to sit down. I was like, no, I don't, I don't feel like this is a safe place for me to sit. And I went to the back row because I could feel just an overwhelming emotional experience response to just being back in this in this place. And I wish family I could tell you that I wish I could tell you that it was only good feelings that I felt. I'm being 100% with you guys. I wish I could tell you that it was only positive nostalgia. Some nostalgia is negative. Some memories that you have show you where you need to heal. I've experienced so much power through my fellowship with this church. But that power, you guys, it came through pain. And my nephew Jordan sat next to me. He looked at me and said, hey, you okay? <laughs> and I would, you know, it's one of those like not ugly cries just when the tears are just coming. I cry like that. I cry like I sweat, guys. So just so if you ever see me sweating, you don't really know if I'm going through something or not. I might be crying. You never know. But he just said, Hey, man, are you, are you okay? Returning here to this place to serve required me to pinpoint my places of pain. Returning here required me to pause in the pain that I felt when my sister Atta died and when my brother Maurice died and countless others that we've lost in this church. But traumatic deaths I've experienced here. And grief has stayed with me since then. And I came in through the threshold of those doors and I walked in and I sat down and I need to experience that pain again. I needed to sit in those moments because it's through that pain that the power that God has for my ministry here will be delivered. I had to feel that. And I'm not done feeling it. There was a lot of power in my experience here, but that power more times than not was delivered through pain. I'm committed to repurposing my pain as I get to enter into a new journey and watch God's will unfold for the lives of you and those in our community. I'm committed to repurposing my pain because I want to help heal people. I'm not saying that God can't use you in your brokenness. Not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that healed people heal people. But healing doesn't just come as something you stumble upon. Healing must be pursued. You got to pinpoint, pause, and repurpose your pain. I have one more picture I want to show you guys as we close. Uh, and, and this image is yet another one from Camp Hope. And you can see uh, at the end, like I told you guys, we have our bears and we're all uh, 
going around before the parents come and we get to sign our bears and, <clears throat> and, and, and write on them and leave little notes and, you know, the fun stuff. This is nice, cuddly, soft bear you take home. And this bear, uh, this bear belonged to Eli. And Eli came to me and he said, Mr. Rico, will you sign my bear? And you know how you, you got to act excited. Look, you want me to sign your bear? Yeah, I'll sign your bear, man. I'll sign your bear. He said, man, he wants me to sign his bear. And then I heard his little voice say, because you lost your best friend too. And that was my first, that was my first Camp Hope with a real loss. Because that was the year Atta died. And I had served for 14 years in Camp Hope before that without ever having lost a significant person to me. That was single-handedly the most powerful Camp Hope I ever experienced because I had gone through a pain that God was able to repurpose for the healing that another person needed. Who is around you that needs your healing? Who is around you that needs your healing? You need your healing. But somebody around you needs you to make it through so they have hope again. Somebody around you needs to see someone cross the finish line because they've never seen that before. They've only seen loss. They've only seen pain. They've come from families and communities where hope didn't exist. Who in your life needs your pain? Who in your life needs your healing? You need your healing, but somebody else needs your healing. And Eli, in the tender age of his life, He's not going to remember me. To this day, he probably don't remember me. He's not going to remember me 20 years from now, but he remembered what it felt like to hurt with somebody else and to see somebody else's pain be repurposed. Family, I dare you. I dare you to pinpoint, pause, and let that pain be repurposed. Heavenly Father, God, my prayer today is simply that you'll allow us, uh, God, that you will gift us with the courage and the bravery it requires to withstand the momentary discomfort for uh, the internal deliverance from pain. God, embody and instill with us your spirit because as much as Peter may have gone through it, God, as much as I can sit up here and preach about it, God, we know that it's the spirit that truly brings this transformation, God. And we're praying today, as a church body, God, we're praying for emotional healing. God, we're praying for you to intervene into those places of people's hearts where they've covered and closed and kept from you. God, we... We thank you for being a God who is able to heal. And this human experience, God, it hurts. But Father, we are here laying before you our burdens, laying before you our pains. And God, for those that are under the sound of my voice who are not quite ready to do that, God, I just pray that you continue to surround them in a special way, Lord. I pray that you continue to engulf them with your grace, that you continue to give them peace and comfort and and a peace that passes their understanding, God, like the scripture says, because it doesn't make sense to return to our places of pain for the purpose of healing, God, but that's when peace that passes understanding intervenes, God, I'm praying for that over each person today. God, I'm praying that this journey that we embark upon be one 
that we get to do together, God, because I know and I believe that this church has a powerful future. God, and we want to commit that future to you, beginning by committing to you the pain of our past. I just want to pause in this moment. And if anybody here feels like you need some help with this, I recognize this is not, you can keep your eyes closed. I'm not going to talk for a lot longer, but if you feel like you need help with this, I just want you to raise your hand. That help can, can, can be in the form of a lot of different things. I just want to get eyes on you. I, thank you. Keep your eyes closed. I just want to pray in my heart specifically for those with their hand raised. You can lift it and put it right back down. I just want to see your, 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 your indication of the need for, for help with, with this. And I also want to invite those of you who may have raised your hands, if you have not before, I want to ask you to consider filling out the connection card that's in the seat back pocket in front of you. If you're not already connected to one of our small groups, that's where healing takes place, family. I'm talking from experience. I went through small, I've done small group. I've been a part of this church. This is a place where God exists and God dwells. God wants to help bring healing to you. That happens in small groups. Some of us need more than just a, a poem and a prayer, though. Some of us need help finding a therapist. Some of us need mental health assistance. And that's something we can help you with. I just want to ask if you would be bold and brave enough to write your name on the card, drop it in the box on the way out. We'll contact you. We'll help you get in contact with the resources that you may need to seek this healing because relove. God has a purpose for us. God wants to use this church. We love, we have work to do, but we have to be healed. God, I thank you for those that responded, Father. I thank you for those online who are listening and hearing. I invite those of you online to, to respond there as well. We will reach out to you. Father, I pray for all of those who have responded in a special way. I pray for everybody collectively, but God, I pray for those who have responded to this, recognizing they need help processing their pain. God, give them the strength and courage, the transformation needed to face tomorrow. And let us as a church and a body of believers aid them in that. God, I thank you for being a prayer answering God. I thank you for being a healing God. I thank you for being a God of his word, a God that says that we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not belief. God, thank you for being exactly who you say you are. In Jesus' holy name, amen.